Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Well, I'm excited again for another podcast, and we're talking digital voices across all of health and life sciences. And one area we haven't explored very deeply yet is the whole technology piece when it comes to digital transformation and what's happening with clinical care. And we're gonna speak specifically about Intuitive and most of you would know one of their products known as DaVinci. And I recall the first time that I had any sort of interaction with uh, DaVinci Robotics was in some health systems like a long time ago. DaVinci Intuitive been around quite some time, a lot longer than I think most people might realize. And it was a key part of our overall organization strategy in terms of our clinical programs, uh, revenue programs, and really adopting the latest in technology to ensure the best possible quality outcome and experience for our patients. And so it really was interesting. And so I've watched Intuitive evolve over the years. And again, every health system I've been to. And so at the last health system, we were actually in the process, but COVID kind of disrupted things. And then, then I left that particular health system, but we were in the process of starting to contemplate programs where we were taking uh, robotics and Da Vinci specifically uh, transcontinental. So we could do complex surgery. In fact, this was gonna be mitral valve heart replacement surgery from the United States on patients in the Middle East and on patients in the UK. And from there, we would just grow it. But because of the technology capabilities and 5G and all those sorts of things, that reality is here and we can start doing those sort of things. So it's kind of an exciting field because, you know, we always talk about digital transformation. We're always looking for specific examples. And I think this is the perfect one. So we have no one better than our guest today to talk about it. Brian Miller, he's the chief digital officer for Intuitive. And as I refer to him, I just call you, Brian, uh, the doctor of robotics, of robots, right? Because you have your PhD in robotics. I do. I do. Yeah. And it's, yeah, thank you for uh, for having me, Ed, today. It's, uh, it's yeah. a pleasure to be here. No, I mean, uh, how many how many times can you say, hey, my guest has a doctorate in robotics? That's pretty cool. So, Brian, you're, so I'm sure your answer will be really interesting to the standard question we always ask our guests. And that is, what kind of music do you like to listen to? Yeah, so I, I still enjoy uh, classic rock, uh, good old Pink Floyd and, and Led Zeppelin. But uh, but I did spend 12 years growing up playing classical uh, music on the piano. And so depending upon the day, I still find myself uh, going back and, and tuning to the classical channel. Oh, that's awesome. So like, uh, what was some of your favorite, like Rachmaninoff or who were who some of the, your favorite pieces to uh, play to? Uh, yeah, I actually, you know, it was Mozart, it was uh, Chopin. So, I mean, I, I kind of went through all of the, uh, you know, all, all of the, the greats and, and, and it was something where you would memorize it. So you had to sit down, memorize the piece and, and play it by ear. Yeah, one of my nephews, he just got accepted into the doctoral program for piano performance, classical pianist at Texas Christian University, TCU. Uh, he, he just finished his master's at NYU. And uh, so I love listening to him play. It's just something magical about uh, classical uh, piano. And, you know, when I was thinking about our, our chat today, I was thinking about, I don't know if you've ever heard of a group called Kraftwerk, but Kraftwerk was a very 
influential, not popular necessarily, but very influential group in the 70s, about the time of classic rock. Uh, but they sort of ushered in this new era of, uh, uh, what do you call it, like techno today. And uh, okay. yeah, it's really interesting. You should look them up. But the reason I thought about you is because they have one song called We Are the Robots. And ever since you and I connected, <laughs> every, t- every time I think about this, like, we are the robots. So you got to, uh, I'll send you that song. Uh, you got to listen yes. to it. I think you'll appreciate Looking it. Forward to it. And in fact, what validated me, because, you know, I was like always concerned, like, oh, why would I, am I the only person that likes this group? But I saw U2 and Bono playing a couple of years ago in their experience tour. And one of the albums, he highlighted two or three albums that were the most influential in his life. And actually one of it was Kraftwerk and it had the song, uh, We Are the Robots. But anyways, let's jump right into the rest of our time here. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. I mean, a doctor of robotics, a classical pianist, that's pretty eclectic. What, what else should we know about you and, and your personal and professional uh, career? Yeah. So I, you know, I was lucky to start uh, with robotics in, in early on in, uh, in school and really it wasn't just robotics, but it was humans interfacing with robots. And so um, that, you know, and it was fascinating because you've got the human uh, uh, interacting. And so there's a closed loop. Uh, with a human as we see what's going on, as we respond with how we interact into the environment. So when you brought that together with the robot uh, and you were trying to accomplish a task or enable the uh, the person to do what they couldn't do, I, I just, I got stuck on it. And so um, it wasn't in surgery or in healthcare to start with. It was simulation training types of activities, uh, but that really set the stage early on and uh, is, is why I'm where I'm at today. Yeah. So how, what did spark your interest in healthcare? Because you could have applied that, as you mentioned, to other areas. But how did you fall in with uh, Intuitive? Was Intuitive your first employer in healthcare? So, so to be clear, so I, I actually, so I, I went to a conference right at the end of my PhD, and I ran in. It was just a robotics conference, a general one. Ran into an individual named Yulin Wong. He, he was the founder of. Uh, in, uh, he was the founder of Computer Motion, and uh, he gave a keynote speech, and he was talking about bringing a robot into the operating room to do surgery. I'd worked in uh, robotics for, uh, you know, about seven years, had never heard of it. And, uh, and so I, I, I chased him down after his speech and spent the next few hours talking to him in the parking lot and was just fascinated with how they were trying to bring surgeons and robots together uh, to be able to provide, you know, good minimally invasive surgery, but, but enable them with things they couldn't do today. And so that was the, the, the light bulb. He called me a couple months later and said, Hey, our controls engineer left. Would you like to come uh, to Santa Barbara and have a conversation? And 21 years later, I'm, I'm still doing it. <laughs> no, that's, that's amazing. Uh, what, what might be some highlights from 21 years, uh, in your professional journey? What's a highlight or two? Yeah. So the highlights really are, and I, I did this from day one when I got there, is, you know, when we look at developing product, going and spending a, a day in the customer shoes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, going and talking with them, but also just being in their environment, observing what they do, understanding what they're trying to accomplish. And so every time, and I, I tell new engineers this all the time, when I go to the hospital and I go and watch a procedure, um, whether it's a da Vinci procedure or just a, a regular laparoscopic procedure, um, I learn so much about what they're trying to accomplish, the challenges that uh, that they encounter. And so my, you know, the joy is, is is spending time with customers, but with that product development lens saying, how, how can I help you do things better? Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's a great way of, of doing it, understanding the, the customer needs. So when you have this uh, PhD, and how do you keep current in terms of 
you know, you're a visionary and how do you keep current? Like, how do you, do you continue to learn new things? Yeah, I, I do try to remain active in, uh, you know, in the different societies and, and, uh, in meetings. Um, I, I like to go to the sessions that have, um, and there's several really good ones where they bring in the, uh, technology along with the physicians and users. Um, so, you know, they're starting to bring in the, uh, the technology solutions and, and the actual, uh, you know, practitioners together. Um, that's one way that I keep, uh, uh, current on technology. Um, a lot of what I try to do is figure out, okay, there's a lot of cool technology, but what is applicable today? What can have an impact today? Um, but also really stretch out and say, okay, where are things headed in the future? And, uh, but I can tell you, I know I'm a bit biased, but, but we have some really talented individuals at Intuitive. And, uh, so they, uh, you know, they're, they're patient with me and, and they spend time <laughs> and explain, <laughs> explain the technology and what it could be. And so it's, uh, that I, I, you know, have a mixture of ways that I try to keep current. Yeah, that that's always sort of an understated or undervalued. Uh, obviously, you value it, but yeah, you hire the right people, the right team uh, that works with you, and you and they push you forward to learning uh, newer and newer things, and and that that's pretty cool. Can you share, Brian, maybe one or two stories how some of the technologies that you all have enabled have you know had a positive outcome for patient care, safety, quality of care, those sorts of things? Yeah, I'll, I'll start off with just, uh, you know, for the audience, our, our philosophy at the beginning when, when we started bringing robotics in and, and, um, it, it's, it's clear for surgeries for patients that a minimally invasive approach, meaning small incisions in the body, uh, to do the necessary procedure is, is really good for the patient. It's, uh, less trauma to the tissue. It's, uh, uh quicker recovery times. Um, but it was actually really hard on the surgeon because they would go from an open procedure where they could have direct access to the anatomy. They would have the dexterity in their wrist. They would see the surgical site in 3D. When they went to laparoscopy, then they were looking at a 2D screen. They had straight instruments where it was hard to get the necessary articulation to do the surgical task. And so our simple concept at the beginning was, Let's provide a minimally invasive approach, but give the surgeon the same capabilities they had during open surgery, where we gave them the dexterity of the wrist back in the body and, and 3D view. So that really laid the foundation. Um, over the years when we brought in, and this is one, one of the stories, um, we have a, uh, a technology called fluorescence imaging. And, you know, surgeons, when we gave them 3D and we gave them the dexterity, they could do a lot. But you still couldn't see beneath the tissue. You, you know, you could see what you could see and then you would go in and dissect. Uh, fluorescence imaging allows for seeing beneath the tissue and seeing perfusion and, uh, and blood flow. And so that technology there was kind of an eye opener going, wow, we can provide in this digital link between the surgeon and the patient additional information that can really change, uh, uh outcomes for patients because they can see things, uh, that they could never see before. Yeah, that that's pretty amazing. And, and and Brian, just, you know, for our audience, which is largely our peers, uh, CDOs across health and life sciences, I just personally found this so fascinating. And one of the reasons that, that you're our guest and I appreciate you uh, being our guest. So that's a great example, sort of leading into my next question. And, and that is where where do you think we're headed? Like with robotics, I know you're you're sort of looking at things, you know, what maybe uh a little bit short term so we can make an impact now. But when you when you all do look sort of longer term, like, is it sci fi? You know, what 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 sort of things can we expect in a couple in a few years? 
Yeah. So um, the the focus right now is is really as you look at the uh, uh, the ability to enable a disease state. Let me just take uh, kidney cancer as uh, as an example. Um, as you look along the patient journey, there is data, information, scans, things of that nature uh, that get generated along that patient journey as they're going through their uh, their care pathway. And so the ability to leverage that data in different parts um, of the patient journey is extremely powerful. And so as an example, uh, when they're diagnosing for, for uh, kidney cancer, they'll do a, a preoperative scan. And so this scan allows them to kind of diagnose, understand the size of the, of the tumor and things of that nature. Um, but what we're able to do now is actually take that scan. We can do segmentation, really identify the key structures, where is the tumor related to critical anatomy, uh, and we're able to create a 3D model. And what it allows us to do is provide the surgeon with the ability to use this model to understand what the approach to the procedure should be. So can they do what's called a partial nephrectomy where they save uh, a part of the kidney and, and part of the healthy tissue because they can remove uh, the, uh, the tumor and, and leave, that, uh, uh, leave the rest of, of, of the kidney, which is better for, uh, for the patient? Or do they need to take the entire kidney? They can then bring that exact same model, they can bring it into the operative field, and they can now uh, per, you know, use it for navigation during the procedure where they can see where critical structures are as they're trying to dissect and, and find the tumor. And so as you start to bring together uh, uh, interesting and enabling data uh, around the hospital, bring it into the robotic system and be able to tightly integrate that experience, that's where things are headed uh, mm -hmm. into uh, into the future. And so continue to benefit from the enabling robotic capability, but starting to bring that context and that extra information uh, to really generate that experience that will result in better outcomes. No, that's cool. What, what did you think about the example I was giving when we first started to chat? And that is, you know, we sort of foresaw a day where, you know, there's uh, there's only a few sort of uh, certain types of specialists in the world. And, you know, if you have a particular need, you're going to want to see that that specialist wherever they are in the world. But logistically, it might be hard to get there. So do you envision a future where these sort of complex surgeries might be delivered, what I call transcontinentally? So we could be here in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth or Rochester or wherever and having the specialist performing the surgery and the patient being somewhere else in the world in the appropriate care setting. Uh, do you all anticipate a future like that? Do you think that that's something that, that might happen on scale in the future? So I was involved in, I'll start it, I was involved with the uh, Project Lindbergh, where it was the surgery from uh, uh, from New York to us uh, to Strasbourg, France. I was at Computer Motion at that time. And then we did a range of procedures in uh, in Canada. Um, I guess what I would say our learning from that is uh, there's a lot more that goes on in providing and, and delivering great care. And so the surgeon is is definitely uh, an important aspect and, and delivers the uh, the surgery, but understanding and making sure that you have a very competent uh, surgical team um, mm -hmm. that's at the bedside, that's helping you in, you know, kind of orchestrate the uh, the procedure. All of that is critical uh, to come together. And, uh, and I think about it when I see it well, uh, when I see it done well by our customers, I actually think it's it's like an orchestra, right? Everybody knows their yeah. part, things happen in concert. And uh, and so those types of things got us to learn that it's not just about the technology and can you connect somebody from a remote location, 
but it's the entire uh, care delivery uh, that needs to be uh, brought together. And so um, we do believe that remote interaction is important. And, uh, and we have our telepresence uh, capabilities uh, that really uh, uh, surged through, through COVID um, where you're able to connect in expertise and, and do uh, a couple of use case of learning. Either uh, the person that is along their learning journey is in the operating room or uh, the experts at the console and, uh, and you have people learning remote. All those are extremely important and that's through audio, video, uh, visual cues such as telestration and pointers. Um, I do think at some point in time when you have all of the uh, uh, aspects down um, that you could take, we have a dual console configuration in our current product. You could take one of those consoles and that could be remote and you could have that same collaboration, but within the immersive environment. And, uh, and so I do see a progression as we move forward, that interaction across boundaries, um, I do think is powerful, especially in certain situations, but you have to take the entire surgical yeah. process and everybody into account. Yeah, that's a good reminder that a lot of times with complex problems, technology is often the easy part. It's all exactly. the processes around that. And, and yeah, in our model that I'm referring to, we were going to account for, for most of that by it was still our organization in these different sites, you know, globally. So they were all yes. used the same processes, had the same empathetic level of care. Yeah, you're right, because you could do the best surgery and not have a good outcome if the team on the other side. So that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So what's your take on the pace of digital transformation in healthcare? So my bias is that the technology often outpaces the culture's ability to leverage it when it's first available. But I'm just curious, you know, Brian, just because you've been in the industry now 20 plus years working, you know, in technology, working with a lot of healthcare systems around the world. Are, are we moving very fast with digital transformation or what's your take on that? So... I guess my assessment is I, I wish we could move faster. I see the, the potential for impact. Um, what, what we've seen, and, and I do think that the industry has, uh, has made really good strides in, uh, in moving forward and enabling these types of things. Um, but I do understand, and I've worked with, uh, uh, with hospital IT executives and, and others over the years, and I understand they have got a complex job. They, uh, they have a responsibility to make sure that uh, everything in their environment is is operating the way that it should, is secure, and, and things of that nature. And so what we look toward is is making sure that we can come in and adapt to that environment and integrate it in a way that's enabling but, uh, but fits with what they're trying to do. But we do find that systems are disconnected. It's hard to get data from one system to another. And we've been able to demonstrate that there's a lot of power between, but behind being able to combine data uh, from our surgical system with what the hospital has, but getting those pipes to flow seamlessly uh, is uh, is not easy. There's not a lot of standards. Uh, there are things, yeah. you know, DICOM, uh, HL7. There are things moving, but it's not uh, standards like we see in the uh, uh, in in the consumer environment. And so that's where um, you know strides need to be made, and I think we could move quicker if we can do that. There is significant potential. Uh, for digital to enable uh, all aspects of it, outcomes for sure, but there's a lot of efficiency uh, that uh, that can be gained as well. Yeah, Brian, to your point that you made earlier about how you stay current and how you like to, you know, some of the highlights have been, you know, spending time in the OR suite, seeing what 
what the customer is doing. So I spent one shift per week when I was at the Cleveland Clinic working in anesthesia. I was kind of like undercover. You know, I didn't want people to know it was me, except my boss knew and, and my anesthesia boss knew. And I just worked as an anesthesia tech. And I was really surprised that and, and it's nothing against where I came from, because it's like that everywhere. To your point, I was surprised. And so I started working hard to correct it, how disconnected systems were in the OR. So, you know, I was dealing at mostly with electronic health records and the, all the other niche systems of bringing them all together and bringing data. But from a sort of med tech point of view, there was a lot of disconnected systems. I was like, wow, just looking around like we got to we got to fix this as an industry. Again, it's not about where I came from, but as an industry. And I think you're right. If we if we tackle that and we, I know there's a lot, lot of dialogue about it, and how we do it. If we tackle that. I think we'll see the pace of change get, get gain a lot of traction. So that that made me think, Brian. Who who do you normally work with in in these sort of environments? Is it the and I and I imagine probably it, it depends on the particular health system. But is it the CIO, the CDO, the CMO? You know, who's the typical customer that Intuitive might work with? I'm just curious. You know, when it comes to yeah. robotics, it's it's a good question, and, and it really is all the above. But but let me kind of describe how we uh, how we view this. And so we we would typically have conversations with CMO surgeons, you know, we, we like to make sure that we can communicate the value that, that we can provide. And so it's not, you know, technology for the sake of technology, it's the impact that it can have. And so that's typically where we start our conversations so that uh, the, the users and, and the individuals that are responsible for delivering care uh, understand the potential and value. As we start to work through an integrated robotics program into the hospital, uh, we do touch a lot of individuals from the operation side um, uh, because of, you know, bringing in technology, bringing in capital equipment, uh, you know, the consumables, things of that nature. And then as we have become more connected, uh, we actually started in 2007 in connecting our systems to the cloud uh, for, the, for the purpose of remote servicing and, and proactive diagnostics. But over the years, as we have increased our capabilities around virtual reality simulation, telepresence, and things of that nature, uh, we do find ourselves talking with the CIOs, uh, uh, privacy officers, um, chief security officers, so that we can go through and, and have a conversation and make sure that we are uh, securely and responsibly integrating our solutions into their environment and uh, they can coexist with, uh, with what they need to do. So we actually, throughout the years, uh, started pretty narrow with just, hey, here's a very enabling medical device. Yeah. But now we do really communicate with a lot of the stakeholders in the hospital. So if you were a, in the C-suite, so let's say, you know, you've done these great things where you are and you had an opportunity to be a, a member of a C-suite of some, you know, health system. What might be one or two steps that you would take to help advance, you know, the health system's digital transformation? Obviously, we're talking about robotics and, you know, clinical transformation. But, you know, what, because, you know, some of our audience is other than CDOs, uh, and that's why I asked the question. So what are one or two things they might do or want to think about in order to help accelerate their digital transformation, especially as it relates to the things that we're speaking about? So is one, one of the things I would mention, and this is uh, a bit around where we've seen some success, is when we engage with, uh, uh, with hospitals and you know, we come together as, uh, as, as, you know, partners and, and really align on what we're trying to accomplish and, and, and work deeply to implement the solution. 
uh, that's where we find uh, a success because it's not as simple as I'm going to plug in this software and people are going to use it. And so I, I do think one thing that, uh, you know, I would encourage is if you are, you know, for the individuals that are on that side, uh, you know, push for those types of standards interoperability, uh, yeah. getting uh, different uh, medical device companies and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, you know, people that provide these services uh, to work together. And, and it sounds obvious and I know it's not not as easy as uh, as, as it is to say it. Um, but I do think people see and I, I deeply believe that when you are able to bring these things together, uh, it is powerful in, uh, in what we can do. And so I would encourage people on the provider side uh, to really emphasize that and, and you know, and push industry uh, to get their act together and, and start to uh, to start to find some of these uh, standards and, and ways to, to interoperate. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I think the other thing, too, is just culturally is to set an expectation that we are advancing medicine. We're very uh, much focused on patient safety, quality care experience. And therefore, we need to adopt new technologies, you know, that that take us there because not to get overly philosophical. And I know I need to be a little careful here. But if I as a patient and I and I actually think like this and make selections based like this. If I think that your health system, this hospital, is old school, not using latest technology, new things that, that are proven, I'm going to have a lot of doubts about the care that I receive, and I'm going to go someplace else. And in fact, that's how we make a lot of our choices. We, we do a lot of studying, you know, if there's anything important health-wise that we need to take care of for ourselves or family members. And that's sort of a litmus test, you know, do they, ha do they leverage robotics? Do they use advanced capabilities? And because, you know, you have to continuously evolve. So that was my one other uh, sort of point of view on that. So we've talked a lot about uh, robotics, Brian, and, and how organizations are leveraging it today and how they can leverage it in the future and, and really be beneficial for patient safety, quality of care, and those sort of things. Is there something else as we close that you might have on your mind to share related to this topic or something that you want to double back down on? Yeah, I would, you know, I would leave the audience with uh, the, our view in how you can actually have measurable impact is really around data, insights, and then actions. And so data is around what, you know, what data sources and information uh, are relevant. And this was our discussion around how do you bring together some data that we can record in the operating room with things inside of the EMR and, and, and really have a rich set of data? But the data is not useful unless you can extract insights. You can say, what what does the data mean and yeah. what is it telling me uh, that that is going on? But even the insights aren't that helpful unless you've got actions that can get you to improve. And so so that's, you know, a, a simple construct, but that's how we think about it. And so in terms of our ability to go in and say, OK, we can help surgeons along their uh, their their journey of, of learning and, and evolving their practice, um, we can record data uh, while they're doing things. We can extract insights on mm. uh, how they perform certain tasks. And then we have things like virtual reality simulation or telepresence for peer-to-peer -peer connection uh, to help take actions to improve. And I think really closing that loop and making sure that there's continuous improvement, just like we do in other things in our daily yeah. lives, um, I think that's a powerful way to uh, to move forward. Yeah, very powerful. Actually, I, I wasn't thinking about that, and you're absolutely right. Wow, you're right. Because you, now you have everything for uh, documented in a way that you can analyze it real time, 
future predictive. We didn't even talk about all that kind of stuff, the AI potential here, machine learning. Uh, we'll have to save that for next time. Brian, Chief Digital Officer, Intuitive, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We really appreciate hearing your voice. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff. And we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.